everyone. Welcome once again to Run Out Radio. I'm Jerry Forsythe alongside Mike Hamilton. We've got the news in the world of pocket billiards for you, as well as a little later on an interview with uh, Rob Johnson, the executive director of the Billiard Congress of America. So we'll be able to get his thoughts on all the things going around in the pool world. But, uh, Mike, I guess the news of the moment has to be Europe winning the Moscone Cup. That was definitely news. Um, most people who followed the coverage online saw that we were both there, and we were both just as shocked. Well, I think I was more shocked than you were uh, that Team Europe pulled out the win, but they played great. I, I, you know, everything else aside, and there is a lot of everything else at Moscone Cup, but everything else aside, if you just concentrate on the nine-ball play over that four days, the team that played better won. Yes, they did. And, you know, the thing that always excites everyone about the Moscone Cup is the fact that it is such an exciting event. And I do not know how they pull in that audience every year that sits there and stomps and screams and sings uh, cheer songs and and dresses in funny hats and waves pom-poms. But I wish we could do that at more pool events. Well, it's certainly a, uh, <clears throat> it's certainly a change from some of the other pro events where the MC almost has to go out there and, and teach the audience ahead of time how he wants them to behave. I mean, if they do anything like that at Moscone Cup, it's when Michaela Tab tries to get the audience to calm down. I mean, there are times when the audience is, is over and above good taste, but it is certainly an exciting event. Um, I mean, for anyone who's never been to Moscone Cup, it is a unique event just like a Derby City or something like that. I mean, there is no other event like it all year. No, there's not. Uh, I mean, the World Championship is a great event, but you don't see fans uh, stomping the stands in unison and singing and cheering and, and wearing uh, hats that look like beer mugs. <laughs> no, it was definitely a great show. Um, once again, I, I was surprised to see Team Europe win it. I think it was probably a good thing all around for the event to see Team Europe win it because, let's face it, they're not going to continue to have this event year after year after year if Team USA wins it year after year. And I think that used to be a big concern, but now in the last, uh, what is it, four years, uh, it's either four or five years, the Team Europe has won two and tied one, and America has won either one or two, so the the playing field is beginning to level out. Well, and it goes back to that conversation about the USA's dominance fading in the game of a nine ball. Um, I mean, there were European players that six months ago we weren't even really all that familiar with. Six months ago, I couldn't have told you anything about uh, Konstantin Stepanov, and I would have been hard-pressed to tell you much about Daryl Peach. I mean, I knew that he was a player from Europe, but... He has sure led a uh, a charmed two months. <laughs> yeah, you could say he's had a nice 60 days uh, winning the world championship under very stressful situations, what with the uh, the blow-up with um, Francisco Bustamante on, on a very close hit that wound up going against Bustamante and that costing Bustamante the match and sending uh, Daryl into the uh, finals instead of Bustamante. And then here at the Moscone Cup, uh, Peach has had um, 
a pretty good 60 days, although there may be a, a bit of a cloud cast on it now from what the, the video has shown in that uh, uh, he apparently tossed a uh, pacifier uh, at Earl there. Um, I, I believe it was the end of the last match. I'm not sure. Yeah, it was at the end of the match against Ralph on uh, day three. It's it's so hard to make a comment on that. I mean, the event is a madhouse. But on the other hand, I didn't see Daryl with a child there. You know, when we were there, I, I didn't see him with a baby, so I, I don't see any other reason he would have a pacifier in his pocket other than that. Well, he and Earl, of course, had had a blow-up where it nearly came to blows. And so there were the emotions were running hot and heavy. I have no doubt that someone in the stands uh, probably handed him that pacifier and said, yeah, here, have some fun with this. And then on the tape, you can see his teammate, uh, Neil Sayan, urging him uh, to toss it. So it, it may have been a absolute split-second decision um, that Daryl regretted as soon as he did it. Who knows? Well, and I'm not going to try to make a a call on whether it was the right thing or the wrong thing to do. I think that's something that Daryl needs to do himself. Um, it happened. A lot of things happen at that event. I mean, really, in four days, you you just see everything. I mean, what other tournament are you going to see something like that? What other tournament are you going to see a player, you know, toss his stick five or six feet over to his chair? And, you know... If you want to make a comment on, on Daryl and on the mood and how crazy things got, you also have to make a comment on Matchroom and their choice to to show that video compilation of previous Strickland meltdowns in the middle of a very, very important match for Earl. I mean, ah, but let me correct you a little bit in that that wasn't a Matchroom decision. That was a decision solely made by the director of Sky Sport out in the production truck and he has little segments on each player and he has to play a certain number of them per day it was unfortunate that he reached up and hit Strickland and it came out to be Strickland's antics but it was not planned on the part of Matchroom and it was not really planned by this first time director who'd never done pool before he had no idea what he was getting ready to uncork I agree. It was unfortunate. It should not have been done. It would not be done in the future. That director apologized to the American team for doing that. All right. Well, I'm going to put you on the spot. I want your opinion. Yeah. What What do you think was more difficult? Daryl Peach finishing that match in Manila after the bad hit call against Bustamante yeah. and going ahead and winning that match, or Earl Strickland fading that video and all those fans and going ahead and finishing that match with uh, with Daryl Peach there at day four? They were both tough. However, Earl was in a more controlled situation with a smaller, friendlier crowd. Um, I, c I could tell, I mean, we were out there when the crowds in Manila were saying that that was a good hit and that... Uh, Francisco Bust and demanding that Francisco Bustamani be awarded the match, those were nervous times. Uh, I can tell you the security guards that I was around wanted to be out of there. 
Yeah, I'll give you that one because the fans may not have saw it in Manila, but when that whole thing happened, the security guards with machine guns on their back were making their way into positions in that room, and the security guards in Vegas were older gentlemen who were just there to make sure people didn't walk past the the velvet rope. Right. <laughs> A little different atmosphere. You know, as as much as we talk about Earl, and let's face it, if you're following Pool, everybody talks about Earl, but as much as we talk about Earl and the fact that he's not playing to the level that he has played in the past, Moscone Cup brings out the best play in him. It may not bring out the best in him, but it brings out his best play. And for him to win that match against Daryl, I mean, let's face it, he played the reigning world champion, with his back to the wall, knowing he had to win that match, and he did. Yes, he did. Got to give it to him now. He played great. At some times, his behavior was abysmal because yes. he would complain about someone moving while he was playing, but several times the referee had to say, Earl, shut up, because he, was, he would be talking while his opponent to the crowd while his opponent was at the table, and he, he knows better. You know, on the subject of the, the crowds and, and how close they can be to getting out of control, I think you also have to hand it to Michaela Tab. She keeps that crowd. She allows them a little bit of leeway to enjoy themselves and have fun and enjoy the event. But when she feels that their fun is impeding the event itself, she quiets them down and she does it quickly. Yes, she does. And, you know, I've always been concerned that one of these days, something's going to happen in a Moscone Cup arena where the crowd is going to go over the top and stuff's going to start flying into the arena uh, because they do allow people to bring food and drink into that arena. It hasn't happened thus far, but I hope they have a spare bolt of uh, Simonis 860 because one of these days they're going to need it. Yeah, I'm looking. Uh, I'm not looking forward to you know, years down the road when uh, Moscone Cup is a highlight on when fans go crazy on one of those cable networks. <laughs> well, maybe, uh, maybe it won't go quite that far, but uh, I can certainly see um, liquids coming across the arena. Yeah. Well, all in all, it was a good event. I had a good time out there. You can't. You can't help but not have a good time out there. Um, you know, in other news, of course, I've been out of the loop because uh, because we were in Vegas. But, right. you know, the other news that I saw that I thought was of interest is the WPBA has a request for proposal out um, looking for someone to take over the job of, of running their tour. I, I think it's very interesting. They've been in this position before, but even when they did this before, uh, the former the former directors came back in and, and they they put together some kind of an agreement. It doesn't look like that's going to happen now. It looks like the most visible tour in the professional pool game here in the United States is going to have new people running it pretty soon. Well, and I'll be very interested in who they choose. And, of course, I don't know who is in that marketplace. I, I, that's not something that I'm familiar with, people who run shows i guess that's what they're they're looking for there are not that many production people available who who are familiar with uh televised pool so 
uh, I guess they're looking to tap a virgin. I don't know. Well, it seems that way. I mean, we know we know Scott Smith, but let's face it, Scott Smith runs different events than the WPBA. Um, and he runs tournaments. He doesn't run television productions. Right. Um, besides Charlie Williams and the people over at Billiards International, I don't know who else is out there that does that. I mean, maybe maybe it, it can be someone new who has never really had experience in the game before. Um, the WPBA has had Wintercom doing their production, their video production for the last year or so, and they seem to be doing a fine job. Yeah. I'm not familiar with those people, but apparently there is. There are some people out there that they can look at. I mean, we've heard rumors that they were talking to Dino Andrews of the IPT about it, and I understand that he has quite a few players lobbying on his behalf, or at least there are players lobbying on his behalf. But as far as I can see, he's still tied up with the IPT. Yeah, as we speak today, uh, we're supposed to have that uh, Johnny Archer-Earl Strickland match tonight. There is no telling whether Johnny has a pacifier in his pocket for the match tonight. <laughs> Well, he can. He's got. He's got an excuse to have a pacifier. That's right. Either way, I mean, whomever they choose, I wish them all the luck. Uh, the WPBA. I, I think they're going through a, a transition period right now, and it'll certainly be good for them when they can get through this transition and and get back to to their strengths. That's right. Well, if that's all the news, should we uh, dial up Rob Johnson? I think we should. All righty. Rob, are you there? Hi, I'm. How are you guys doing? Hey, we're doing great today. It's uh, kind of drizzly in Georgia. I don't know what it's doing out where you guys are. Hey, it's going to be a white Christmas in Colorado, so it's looking good. Usually is, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is. Last couple of years, we've had a lot of snow, so it's good for the ski areas. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Rob, of course, the executive director of the BCA, and uh, what we want to talk to you about is the direction that the BCA is going. Um, well, one of the things we want to talk to you about, a couple of years ago, you sold the amateur leagues, and a lot of people at that point felt that the BCA was no longer interested in being a player organization, that their members have decided that they really need to devote their time and efforts to being a trade organization and promoting the sales of billiards equipment. How do you feel about that um, situation, Rob? Well, I think, you know, I, I was I was brought in, you know, a little over a year ago. And, right. um, you know, I took the position with the knowledge that uh, you had a board of directors that really wanted to try to understand more of what our membership wanted to do. Um, they would went through the sale of the leagues. They went through the some of the Olympic issues on if we were, you know, going to become an Olympic sport or a governing body. And there had been a lot of those types of things that had happened before I got here. So when I got here, it was really, a, in a lot of ways, it was a clean slate, which is, hey, you know, you come in, um, spend some time on the road, learn the industry, learn the board, um, get your arms around it, and then tell us what you think um, we can do to help our membership. You know, what what do we want the BCA to be? And and my response was, you know, I'll lead that charge, but let's do it as a group. And if you're a if you're a board of directors that wants to work together, and you guys are at the point, you know, in kind of the life of the BCA that that partnership and and rolling up our sleeves and figuring this out is interest to you, then I have an interest in the position. If it's right. just an association management job, and 
and fighting with board members and that type of thing that I'm not interested. So they convinced me that they were interested, and in fact, they were. So that's what I did. I got on the road and met with board members and met with folks in the industry and went to tournaments for the first time in my life and learned the game of nine ball for the first time in my life. And really a lot of, had a lot of firsts as far as the industry goes, but then relied on some of my experience and background. Uh, in addition to meeting with folks uh, in the industry, met with folks in the media, and then also did uh, a lot of research. We spent time, you know, time talking to our membership. Uh, what do you want the VCA to do for you? What are your most pressing needs? Um, and that type of thing. So that's, that's been the last 18 months. Um, with respect to the to the playing side, we've we've stayed involved, um, and you know we still uh, host a tournament every year. We still are very involved in the BEF, um, involved in the WPA. Uh, it's important to our our board. It's important to our membership. But we're trying to uh, again the last 18 months ask a lot of questions of why why are we doing this? What good does it do our membership? Why are we involved? And how can we how can we perhaps bring more value and that's we, we've done that for all our programs including some of the the more of the uh, the league and the, the uh, play side okay uh, well I know that you spend a considerable amount of money sending the the juniors overseas for the world junior championship I just we watched do. them in Germany and I believe you also give a uh, $1,300 per player stipend to the um, uh, male pros who go overseas, who qualify to go overseas for the World Pool Championship, yeah. which you distribute through the UPA, and I assume you do the same sure. thing for the women through the through the WPBA. Sure. Um, yeah, we do. But, you know, we do. We do over seventy thousand dollars a year in grants. We we grant fifty thousand dollars to the Billiard Education Foundation. They use that money to uh, fund their their executive director Laura to uh, implement their, their world travel for the juniors to help with their programs. In addition, we do fundraising for the BEF. We did the Harley-Davidson motorcycle raffle at our expo last year. We did the Challenge of the Stars at our tournament last year. So we do do that funding for the juniors. We, we fund the uh, uh, money, send money to the National Wheelchair Players Association. Uh, we fund the ACUI with a, a monthly grant uh, or with a, an annual grant. We've spent, you know, we... we Spend more than one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year on the uh, the nine ball tournament that we do, and that obviously is uh, you know you could consider it a loss to the organization, but we consider it marketing funds. So that's that's more than one hundred fifty grand. We do more than twenty thousand dollars a year in grants that you were just talking about, which is sending the the men and women overseas to play, and then we do we spend another almost twenty thousand dollars a year as, a, as in membership dues and travel for the WPA, and that is, you know, you've seen some news about that. We've, again, rather than just being a WPA member, as we've been in the past, we've now met with the WPA and asked them what role we can play and what role we should be playing in, and in those discussions have have really become, I think, you know, more effective in bringing together um, groups in North America, uh, playing groups, and inviting them onto a committee and made them part of our membership on the WPA. So we've got, you know, men's players, we've got women representatives, we've got wheelchair representatives, we've got junior programs, and they're all on our board, uh, are on our committee uh, in discussing WPA issues. So it's not just, you know, something that I'm doing here in Broomfield, Colorado. Right, and you have, 
<clears throat> very strong organizations in the WPBA and in the wheelchair organization. Uh, to be honest, the the UPA is not such a strong organization. They don't they no longer have tournaments. Um, a lot of players uh, really are kind of disavowing the UPA. Um, how will you handle it uh, when and if a new player organization comes along with strength and the support of the players? Well, you know, I think, you know, and Ivan and I, Ivan Lee, our, our board president, we talk about that often. I think it's, you know, we have optimism anytime we hear about, you know, new groups coming on board that want to help promote their sport. So I think it's an individual case. And if, a, if an organization obviously can demonstrate that they're, going to help, you know, what's what's best interest for the sport and going to help promote the sport and, and come across as, you know, you know, a, a good group, there's absolutely no reason why we wouldn't meet with them and speak with them and get them involved. And I hope that happens. Sure. Just a comment okay. on that, you know, the whole the whole pro side obviously is very unique to me because of the, you know, what you just mentioned with with, you know, the men being different than women and and how their how their events are sanctioned and how they operate. I come from a motorsports background where it was very rigid and very detailed, and, and it was, you know, written down and, and very easy to understand, and this has been, you know, not the case, and so it's been a, a long learning curve for me. Rob, for our listeners who, who aren't completely familiar with how this whole thing works, can you give them a 50,000-foot view as to how the BCA works with the WPA and, and what the responsibilities are on each side as far as, as the game of billiards goes? Sure. The, the, we're, we're the North American representative to the WPA, and so uh, is that representative. There's there's many duties and opportunities we get from, um, you know, annual rule book reviews where they go through all of the rules and specifications and ask for each country to participate in that process. And so we have folks here in North America that then take the rules and, and look at them from from their background and their guidance, and then we, we compile all our all our answers and send them to them. We have issues on, again, on play where there are different world tournaments and we are invited a certain, we're given a certain number of slots, number of players to invite to these tournaments. And now because of our committee, we can work with our committee to determine who are the best players uh, to play in those events. We, we are given opportunities to host events. Uh, and late next year, we're going to host a world junior event in, in the United States. So this committee will be be working together to select the site, host the event, put on the event. Um, those are some of the, the types of issues um, that we're working on. And, and again, um, what I tried to do and, and what we've tried to change our focus on is, is we want what's best for the sport in North America. You know, we don't have any, any huge political agendas, and that's why we've brought these groups together and said, hey, participate on our committee. And let's try to work together and, and, and help promote, you know, our participation in the WPA, not try to fight about, you know, who's doing what and who's doing where. And, and the committees, you know, Ivan organized the committee. They've they've met on the phone. They've they've worked through Fran Creamy, one of our WPA representatives, and, and the process is just beginning and it's working well. You took a lot of criticism. Uh, this was before you came on board. Uh, the BCA took a lot of criticism for financing to the tune of over $200,000 a a pilot television show, which was called, um, I believe it was Ball Breakers or Ball Busters. Okay. And 
I was there when they filmed that thing in Baltimore at the trade show. Frankly, I don't understand how they spent that much money. It looked like a $40,000 ESPN shoot. It was the standard ESPN crowd. It was the standard ESPN shoot time. But that's no matter. The The criticism is that that 200000 or more dollars could have been spent to unify the existing uh, regional tours into a farm system so that amateurs would have a, a track to become pros. Is the BCA going to be involved in amateur leagues or any type of amateur play? It is in the mission statement that on the, in the very first sentence that your mission is to sanction and promote amateur play. Well, I, I'm, you know, I'm not quite sure how to answer it because I wasn't here when that when that took place. You know, we, we support you know our our league operators as far as members of our organization. I'm not sure you know where to go with that question. If you want to help me with that, well, uh, there is a lot of sentiment uh, in the industry that like the the Viking Tour and the Northeast Tour and the Joss Tour, if they would if they could somehow all be unified um, Mm -hmm. with a central ranking system for the players, then an amateur player would have a route to becoming a pro. Mm -hmm. Right now there's really no route to be a pro except to show up at open tournaments and pay your entry fee. Mm -hmm. And what I'm really curious about is how does the BCA promote and sanction amateur play? Well, I think, you know, your question is a Mike Janice question. Somebody like Mike Janice approached us, and, and sure. I can tell you Mike Janice has asked to meet with us and, and to, put, to discuss the, the type of topic of do you unify, you know, could you unify tours and could you bring them together and would the BCA be part right. of that? And our answer to him has been put a proposal in front of us. So Mike is going to come participate at our February board meeting, a long-range planning meeting, and he's, you know, his ideas are welcome. And I think, that, you know, at that point, once once the board gets a chance to hear that type of, of uh, idea, they'll take a look at it. You know, what I've relied on the last 18 months has been we went out to our membership and said, what are the things that you want us to focus on for you? What are the right. hot spots? What do you need? And, and, and those have been, you know, I, I when you do research like that, you you have two two opportunities, two options. One is you, you get research back and you scratch your head and say, it didn't tell me anything. And the second one is it comes back very clear, here are the areas that we want help. Well, in a good way for us, it came back with three or four areas of absolute immediate need, and that was research. Right. What's going on with the consumer? What does the consumer think about the industry? That's from a pool room side and from a retail side, so from a play side and from a buy side. And the same thing with research on the uh, on the industry itself, trends, statistics. You know, that's the those were the hot hot buttons for our, our membership. And the, and the last area was was marketing support. You know, how do we market? How do we market our products? How do we market our pool? And what should we be doing with the internet? And that's a lot of what we've tried to do with the with the expo, with the seminars that we did. You know, I took a look at it and said, you know, the the, the average pool room operator. I'm sure you guys have this experience more than I do, but the average pool room operator, once we sold the leagues and a lot of those changes went. You know, I'm not sure what value the BCA has for me. And so we've been able to take a look at it and say, here are some areas that we potentially can help the, the pool room operator with, with research and information and with marketing support, marketing tips. And we can do that through information out to them. We can do that through information at the, at the expo. So the retailer or a pool room operator could say, for years, I have no value in going to the expo. It doesn't do me any good. And our hope is to say, you know what, 
you know, now we've got a day of seminars that on the front end, seminars on how to how to get people to your location, keep people at your location. We've got information on what the what a, a, a average pool room looks like, percent of revenue on alcohol, and uh, what kind of music, and I mean, just a variety of things. So potentially, for the first time in a while, you might want to spend a day come down to the seminar, spend some time on the floor, and go home. You don't have to come down for the three full days, come down for a day. But we think you'll get some value from the BCA that perhaps you haven't seen in the past. On the plate, you know, a couple th- more thoughts on that. One is is uh, we'll listen to anybody that has an opportunity to show us how we can promote the sport. So if somebody has an idea like that, I, I welcome it. Uh, again, as I've told you, it's, you know, this is much more... Um, confusing or disjointed sport that I've seen from my background. So anybody that has an opportunity to show us how that might change would be welcome to look at. And secondly, we've, we've, you know, while we're perceived as a big organization, we are limited in how much funding we have. And so it's been a process with picking what are the, what are the top, top, top couple projects this year that we want to accomplish and get those underway and then go to the next. Rob, uh, one decision that was made that, has been taking some flack. I mean, one decision that was made after you came on uh, was the decision to move the pro event out of the uh, out of Vegas in May and move it to the trade show. Can you tell us what what the thinking was behind that move? Yeah, absolutely. My my thinking is, is that our value that we get out of that tournament is a lot of what we can do on TV and the production value, and a lot of how that show shows on TV. A lot of people are wondering why. People aren't watching watching it on TV while pools disappearing off of TV, and and, and what's happening. And so, uh, I took a look at it and went back to the board and we had a discussion. And it was, you know, if you if you continue to do it in Las Vegas, and you continue to do it with amateur tournaments, you guarantee that you're going to have people in the stands watching the event. Um, but that's if that's what you guys want, if that's why you do the tournament, then leave it. But if you guys want to consider using the nine ball tournament perhaps as a test kitchen or as a, as a test to see if we cannot drum up some more energy for how these events are put on, then let's, let's consider some changes. And one idea that was brought to brought in this discussion was let's move it to the expo. Well, why move it to the expo? A couple of reasons. One is the environment that the players get to play in will be a very nice environment. They'll be in the grand ballroom at the convention. It's a beautiful room. They'll be in the nice, you know, they'll, they'll be able to enjoy those amenities. Second thing is you get the industry to, to be next to the nine ball tournament. You invite people from the industry to come see the tournament that, that might not have been to the tournament in years. You know, you hear that there's a disconnect between the industry and the players. Well, here's an opportunity to bring the two back together. Next answer is you get the players an opportunity to go to, onto the show floor and introduce themselves to the industry. And it might be a while since they've done that, and they might have not have had the opportunity to shop themselves to the industry. And so this gives them everybody on the floor at the same time. The other thing it does is it, it gives me um, the opportunity to save money and travel and some of the other things. I don't send an entire staff in May down to Las Vegas and then send the staff in June down to Charlotte. So I save some money that then I can put back into production quality. I can spend some more money with the folks that produce the show and go to them and say, how can we enhance what they see on TV? You know, ESPN's given us heat. The whole industry heat right now on your production is falling behind with other sports, other programming that we have on TV. If it continues to fall behind, it's not going to be on our channel. It's not going to be on TV. So we've been able to take some of that money that I would have spent, you know, ten or fifteen thousand dollars in travel 
to Las Vegas for one additional time, but now I'm bringing in robotic cameras that will be above the table rather than one stationary camera. We're going to do some different lighting packages. So that's really where we are on this thing. It's it's We did the Hall of Fame last year at the, at the Riviera in front of um, great fans, but they were they were not part of the industry. So we've I got a lot of heat for that, and so now we've been able to say, look, let's do the Hall of Fame on the floor of the tournament between the two finals, and bring in the Hall of Famers of the past and whoever's currently elected, whether it's one, two, or three people, whatever the number is, put them in front of the industry, put them in front of their peers, and give them a great event. The atmosphere of the of the nine ball. The chairs will be different. The seats will be different. The audience, um, everything that they see and experience will be different. And that's to bring up the level uh, so that we can keep this sport going forward. Those are are the ideas behind that event. So I I guess a lot of the complaints about about the move is that the BCA event in May was probably the most well-attended event as far as the fans go, but I guess it sounds like where you're coming from is you're not really looking at it as a fan event. You're looking at that tournament as an opportunity to to borrow a phrase from last week, you know, to elevate the game itself instead of just that one event. Absolutely. And we had great fans at that, that event, but that event itself, that event is a very expensive event for us to put on. And if we're going to spend those types of marketing dollars, we're going to have to get more out of it than the folks that come to the actual site. And so, again, by by putting it in in Charlotte, we do get the people that will be in the stands will be influence makers in the industry. So the audience will be. And, again, if somebody that was in Las Vegas wants to come to this event, tickets will be available. And there's a good core, and and we've already talked about them, and Peg Lehman obviously helps us promote the show, and she's got a list of those folks that come and absolutely want them to come. It's not going to be a situation where they won't be invited there'll be events during the day at this tournament that will be free for people to come see and we've, we've been working with some of the local leagues in charlotte to make sure that people do get to come but you know from my standpoint if i'm going to spend that type of money on this event I'm gonna, two things i'm going to elevate the look and feel that you see on tv i'm going to elevate the look and feel that people see when they're there i'm going to try to get people that have influence in the industry to take a look at this sport and see if there's not a partnership there to enhance it and we're going to try some different things that if they work, we're going to hand off to other people. If there's something that we do in production that the BCA can spend on how we produce this on TV, you know, in a few years, every show is going to have to be in HD. So you have to start looking down the road for some of these things. If we can do something spending association marketing dollars on this that work, we'll hand it off to anybody. And, and that's what we're looking to do. Well, I'll be very interested to seeing how you do this because you're right all the ESPN billiard shows look alike and they really sure. need some work so good luck to you on that we, we would <laughs> well, love to see something more exciting well you know what and then I'm you know I'm just getting to know you folks but the board's getting to know me pretty well and I, I never stood up and told them that I guarantee this will work what I've told them is that we'll try like heck to make this work and we'll admit where it does work and where it doesn't work but you have to. If we don't try, it's going to be taken off the air, and these events are all going to disappear. And why not? What what better group than the association that's putting on an event to try some different things, to take some lead in some different things, to try to bring the industry back with the players? Let us take the lead in that, and we'll take the heat. That's fine, you know. And, and that's really the the strategy behind it. Because if not, my feeling was 
this event was going to go on another year or two, and then it was just going to disappear. Because we, as you look at the bottom line of how much it was costing, the, the, the benefit was not, the expenses were going to far outweigh the benefits. And it was going to go away, and I didn't see, want to see that happen. And I wanted to stop that. Now, I can tell you, we presented this concept to, the, uh, to ESPN, and they added two hours of TV for it. And so they were very, and so it, it's always been four hours of guaranteed program, and we have six because they liked the concept, they liked the look and feel, and they liked what we were, the direction we were trying to go. So, the, you know, in, in this, the, we, we have put out the sponsorships for it. The sponsorships have come back in. I can tell you we're, we're miles ahead of where we were last year on sponsorships. We've gotten very good feedback, and mm-hmm. mid-January is when we'll announce all our sponsors for the event for next year, and those have gone over very well also. So, you know, some of the things we're doing are well, and some of the things we're going to have to wait and see how they go over. Um, one of the stories going around, and, and please correct me if this is not uh, not truth, but one of the stories going around is that you're limiting the field to 32 players. Do you feel, well, first of all, are you limiting the fields to 32 players? Yeah, you know, we're in discussions. We haven't, we haven't, there's not a final decision made on that. I'll give you kind of a, where we are on that. We have limitations on how much time we have at the convention center. We can only take occupancy of the convention center on Saturday of our trade week. And so in looking at how long it's going to take a Saturday and, and into Sunday to get the floor and get the entire uh, ballroom set up so that we can begin play is, is giving us um, parameters on, on how many players we can have. We've had discussions with, with both the men and the women. They know that this is an issue, something that we're working on. And uh, I, I couldn't tell you today exactly what the number is going to be, um, but it's a very open conversation. And I think, you know, that anybody that thought we were just cutting the field down to cut the field down now is aware that, you know, these are what our limitations are. Now let's throw every idea we have from, from uh, you know, certainly the women are the bigger issue because they have a, they have a, every year they have an exempt group of players and they want to continue to do that. And so we've had conversations with them from, do we start the tournament at a separate location and, and whittle it down to when we can then move them into the convention center? And, you know, every idea under the table, and we're having those discussions with them. And uh, I have no doubt that we'll, we'll come to something that makes sense for everybody. Well, traditionally, the field at that event has always been the strongest, especially on the women's side. The, the field sure. has been stronger than any other WPBA events, so it would certainly be a shame to lose that. Yeah, and I think I think you'll see that that the both sides come together and make it work. I have no doubt. Hey, Rob, we sure appreciate your time today. Thanks for coming on. We want to wish you a lot of luck with the trade show. It seems like you're uh, really taking the bull by the horns with your new position, and uh, hope you can take the BCA to the next level where it wants to go. Well, I appreciate you guys letting me come on and, and talk about some of the things we're doing and. You know, one of my challenges is to be able to communicate all the changes we're making and why we're making them. So when, when I get opportunities like this, I look forward to it, and I appreciate you guys giving me the time to talk, and I hope you all have a great holiday. Very good. Same to you, and we'll see you at the trade show. Take care. Thanks, Rob. Okay, well, it's always good to talk to the people in charge, and that's the man in charge at the BCA. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't want to take on his task. He's got a lot of house cats to herd in this industry. Yeah, hopefully that interview answered some questions that a number of people have been bringing to us for the last few months. I know I was certainly interested in why that pro event was moved, and and I think that the reasoning that he gave makes sense, and it's certainly not the reasoning that we've been hearing tossed around the industry for why it was moved. Right. 
Well, I guess that's it for Run Out Radio for this week. Uh, for those of you who would like more of the atmosphere of the Moscone Cup, go to AZB TV. We've got uh, quite a few telecasts up there that will give you a pretty good rundown of what the Moscone Cup is all about. And uh, until next week, hit them well. And, Mike, I'll see you then. <laughs>